Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, dilemma. The dilemma, a situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between two or more alternatives, especially equally undesirable ones. That is my starting point. Either a dilemma or the dilemma. (laughs) I don't know. Um, A situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between two or more alternatives, especially equally undesirable ones. It is a Saturday morning at 4.02 a.m. So it's been a minute since I've done an early morning reflection with you all. Um, If I could have done it last night, I would have. But part of uh, something I want to talk to you about is when I'm calling the swim. Um, And it's related to something I've talked about where I've called it the blob. And I think it has a lot to do with my uh, two of my cognitive functions, I believe. Definitely my dominant introverted intuitive function. Um, but I suspect that it also is connected to that other introverted function, introverted feeling. So anyway, got a lot to talk about. Um, uh, this is another reflection that is very real. <laughs> it's very real. It is very um, present. And um, I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm hitting the record button because this is one of the um, methods or means for problem solving that I have found works for me. So thank you for being here. Thank you in advance. I don't know where we're going, but we got to go somewhere because this dilemma is very real, okay? If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds, I do so by using personality theory and the Enneagram. Um, Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm laughing because a lot of this dilemma is wrapped in what I would have called deliciousness. And so I am I'm just struck with the irony of it all. The irony of it all and there's a part of me that's just quite fascinated to see what I learn and grow, how I grow as a result of this dilemma. I know I am going to grow. I just know it. That's just how it works. So anyway, let me try to get back into those disclaimers. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I am a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets. This is unbelievable. Things are just flying out in my head right now, so just bear with me, you guys. Oh, my gosh. 
Politically, I lean into tenets called critical race feminism, which means I have an intellectual sensitivity to race, power, oh, that's not how I go, race, class, gender, sexuality. These are all social constructs um, that really deals with power, deal with power. This project is unedited and is unscripted. You're going to see a lot of that today because we're doing some real-time reflecting. This is real. This is not me. Um, um, I have no other... um, purpose for talking other than in there I shouldn't say it this way but I have two um, agendas here in this project well in yeah in this project this project I use to reflect and on um, I am my happiest when I'm reflecting on abstract thought abstract concepts that's my when I'm happy I'm not sure if that's what you all come for but that's when I am excited. I have these ideas, these thoughts, um, and then I can talk through them, put words to them, and we're good. The other thing I want to do in this project is to encourage other people in their authentic selves, particularly those of us who have introverted intuition, or those of us who are intuitive, or those of us who find ourselves in the margins of society, where we're not part of the bell curve, we're not part of the norm and when you're not part of the norm you live in on the in the edges of society and you can really be disconnected from the self one of the things i hope to inspire in this project is to inspire those people at the margins to live fully whole and authentic on purpose and impact oh my gosh there's just so much to talk about that's what I hope to inspire in this project. Um, yeah. So anyway, you guys. If you want to know more about this project or me, feel free to go to my website at youranidom.wordpress.com. This might be a bumpy ride just because this is a very fresh dilemma. Um, it's been a minute since I, come, I came to you in the dilemma. Whereas sometimes I just pause a little bit because I don't even know what to say. Like that's how I was last night. I didn't even know what to say. So I woke up this morning with a little bit of breakage in that what would be called a blob. And and in that breakage I have some words. And as I am as I prep to talk as I prep to take those words, I started writing them down this morning. And as I was writing them down, more words came to me. And then when I went to go get in my spot for a recording, because I sit on a, I have a particular spot in my house that is cozy. I like to record from. And then I went to another spot in the house for privacy. And I was like, no, forget the privacy. I'm coming back to the place I like to record for comfort. More words came to me. And so... This is a this is a this is something that is still I'm working it out in real time, so this is going to be a bumpy ride in this reflection. So, hopefully, you're here for it. Okay, where do I want to start? I want to start in the abstract. 
Um, because if I feel like if I start in the, uh, from the sensory world, um, I, I'm, I'm going to get caught in some rabbit holes that may be hard for me to come back from. So let me start in the, from the, in the abstract world. Let me start from my intuitive brain. So I'm, I'm contending with a metaphor right now that I'm calling swimming. There's a swimming metaphor that I've been playing with for the last um, eight hours. It's four o'clock. I probably went to bed at about eight o'clock last night. And so I had this metaphor when I went to bed and I have it now. And I want to... I want to tell you what this swimming metaphor is, why it's, why it, why I think it's existing in my head right now. And then I want to juxtapose it to, um, with another metaphor that I've given you all in the past called the blob. And so those metaphors are, are related. And I thought about it. I'm like, when the swimming metaphor came up for me and I was thinking about what it represented for me, I thought about the blob metaphor. I'm like, is that the same thing? Are those two metaphors representing the same thing? And I don't think they are. And I'd love to spend some time talking about that. So that's, that's where I want to start. I also want to say that as these little random things as I'm talking, random things are flying in my head. And I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to lose that. So I think what I'm going to do is, as those things pop up, instead of me trying to share them with you, at the risk of uh, falling into a rabbit hole, what I think I'm going to do is hit the pause button and write it down. But then I can fall into a, I run the risk of forgetting where I left off. So y'all just buckle up. Hold on a second. I have to write something now. Hold on. All right, I um, have been paused for maybe two minutes, and um, so it was good. I'm glad I paused because a few things were added. I wrote down. So, all right, you guys, let's try. So there are two blobs. There are two metaphors, um, the swim and the blob. I talked to you all about the blob, I, I believe twice, but I definitely talked about it in one of my June episodes. It was, I believe it was June 25th of 2022. I don't know the name of that episode. Oh, I think it was called The Absence of Flow, which is pretty decent reflection, by the way. Um, apparently, you all thought so, too. Um, just because I have a, a, um, a fair number of downloads on that one. Um, there's, so there's a number that I I have that will tell me if it, the episode um was received by my community. I have a small community, so I, I'm not measuring my downloads by other people, but just because I have a small community, it gives me an indication if my small community um, shared it or not because of the the number of downloads. So anyway, I just listened to it yesterday, I think, or two days ago. It's called The Absence of Flow, and I was talking about ending my school year and there was so much that that had happened 
in my mind, I knew that all of this, um, all of my experiences and all of my thinking and all of my intuition, it was um, compressed together into, uh, like I'm calling a blob, a blob. But if as an, another metaphor is coming to me, um, where I could also call it the black hole. I don't want to mess with this because I don't have, I'm not, I don't know enough to talk about this, um, um, this, 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 this feature element in space. Um, anyway, go look up the black hole because I feel like I understand it, but I'm not going to try to describe it. Why I'm thinking about a black hole is because while this blob exists, in that episode, I talked about it's everything, but it's nothing at the same time. So we think about a blob. When I think about a blob, I think of a physical physical matter. It's something that physically exists. You can see it. You can measure it. It is something tangible. Well, when I was talking about the blob, it was both a thing, but it did not it was intangible. I couldn't measure it, couldn't see it, I couldn't manipulate it, but I knew it was there. And that's kind of like what a black hole is. It's, it's, I don't know if it's matter. I don't know if it's antimatter. There's such a thing called anti, anti, antimatter. I'm gonna, now I'm gonna go look up black holes when we're done so I think, so I can come back and play with that metaphor. I'm very interested. But it's both matter and antimatter. It exists, but it doesn't exist. And that's how I was talking about the blob. As I was wrapping up my school year, there was so much inside of me that was compressed and compounded into a thing that wasn't a thing. And then after I gave some time like the school year ended like in mid-June, early mid-June. And then by the end of June, that blob started breaking apart. And then I was able to go and pick up. Here here was an event I could talk about. Here's a thought I had. Here's something that I'm intuiting. Here's a wondering. That blob started opening up. And I was able to access what was on the inside. But initially, at that when I ended the school year, it was just this compounded, compressed thing that I could not access. Okay, so that's the blob. <laughs> Sometimes I think about those of you who keep coming back to this project, like, why? Why do you keep coming back? What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I would feel so good to laugh right now. Y'all just don't know. Oh, my God. I think about all the time this young lady that I talked about meeting, um, I met her from Facebook and she would say her books were her friends. And my God, um, I get that. I, I love books. They give me, they make me feel, I feel connected to them, but I never would refer to them as my friends. But I would definitely refer to you all as my friends. I do not know who the hell you are. But knowing that you're hitting the play button and knowing that there's this relatedness between me hitting the, me, rec- me having a thought, hitting the record button, releasing it out, seeing those downloads, 
there is a relationship here. <laughs> so, and thank you for those of you who come to my Twitter space. And thank you for those of you who come to my YouTube space. Um, so thank you because you become real. Um, and some of you don't want to be real. And that's, you just want to live in my imagination. And that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but anyway, thank you. All right. So that, that was a good commercial break. It's making me feel a little better. Okay. So that was the blog. So let me tell you about this meta, this other metaphor that I'm calling swim. Okay, let me try to. If you could see me right now, my hands are like rubbing in my hair. Like, oh, how do I explain this? How do I explain this? Okay. So the swim is like, and I have my eyes closed right now, trying to tap into it. The swim is like. Being inside of the blob and trying to move in it, trying to move forward in it, trying to find my way in it, trying to interact with parts. This is good, you guys. I'm, this is good. I'm glad I'm explaining it because I, I did not know how I was going to explain this, but here it is. The difference between the swim and the, the blob, the blob I couldn't, I couldn't name. I couldn't name, I couldn't manipulate. I just knew it was a thing. But the swim, it is like a blob. There is so much of it that I cannot name. There's so much that I cannot manipulate. But unlike when I ended the school year and I was continuing with this blob, it was stagnant. Mm-mm. It was stagnant. It was, um, is the word static? Yeah, I think the word is static. There it is. There it is. The blob is static. Because at the end of the school year last year, I was on vacation. I didn't have to do anything. I could just sit in my on my sofa with a cup of coffee, and I could just sit in my head and just think if I wanted to. They were, I didn't have a relationship with the blob other than it was a memory or it was something in my head. But with the swim, there's an active relationship with an unknown component. There's an active relationship with the unknown. And not only is there an active relationship with the unknown, There are expectations placed on me in the unknown. So I have an active relationship. There are unknown expectations, but they're there all the... So there are unknown expectations, but I know that those expectations are there, even though we don't know what they are. And I'm moving about blindly almost. So it's not, so the other part of this swimming mm, metaphor for me, this impression I have that I'm calling a metaphor, is that I'm not swimming in, what I'm swimming in is, is thick, but not dark, but it's thick, it's thick, it's cloudy, and there are chunks, there's, there are chunks in the, in this, this liquid I'm swimming in. 
there are chunks that I could say that pass me by and I'm like, oh, there's that. There's that. There are things I can't name here. Whereas the blob, I couldn't name anything. There are things I can name in the swim. But I can't stand them. I can't, so I can't take one of the objects that, as I'm in this, this liquid, this, and an object floats by, I can't take that one object and spend time with it because there's a lot I don't know, right? Because it's murky. It, the objects are, the object is moving, so I don't have time to entertain that one object. And then there are other objects that are all moving about in this murky water. So even if I try to entertain one uh, object, then I can get distracted. Oh, oh, that object right there. And then what about that object? And then what's the relationship with those, these objects? That's the swim. That's the swim metaphor. That explains what's, what I'm, what's going on for me. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but there it is. That is the description. So there are objects. They're moving. They're moving in a liquid that is murky. It's not clear. And I'm moving in it. I'm trying to move forward and I'm trying to move about. I'm trying to move forward to problem solve and I'm trying to move about to explore. So there's a lot in that. Thank you guys. That was really good. Oh, that was good. <laughs> it was good for me. <laughs> okay. So that's that's the abstract space. That's where I'm at. I don't even know where to go next. Give me one second. Hold on. Okay. All right. So the next thing I think I want to try to do is I want to try to explain some of those objects that are floating by me. I want to explain some of the pieces that I can see that are floating by me and I don't have the time or the capacity to deal with one of those items in totality because I'm moving. I'm moving in murkiness, trying to get to a destination. And there's also an exploratory, explorative nature to this because there are other moving objects. So that's why I don't have the time. So let me just try to name some of those floating objects. Shadow work, and that's me being as um, humble and vulnerable. I don't think vulnerable is, yeah, it's about being vulnerable, but I'm, a lot of times I think about vulnerability as something that's difficult. Okay, here's a better word transparent. Because I think we can be transparent. And not be vulnerable, because our transparency doesn't make us vulnerable. And sometimes our transparency makes us vulnerable. So there's some transparency that I'm about to share that I don't, I don't feel vulnerable with. And that's around shadow work. And there are many different ways we talk about shadow work. And I don't even know if I can connect this to Carl Jung's treatment of the shadow work. But we all have a shadow self. It's the side of us that is repressed. It is underdeveloped. It is something that we don't deal with. It's not pretty. Um, it's the, the, just a darker side of us, right? So some of my shadow stuff 
is surfacing. Now, I realized that last night, not initially. Mm -mm. Yeah, I realized it last night when I was trying to contend with, when I was trying, when I was sitting in some emotions. And I was like, why is this situation? So you're in a, I'm in a situation. That's fine. Why is this situation giving me a set of emotions? So there are different sets of emotions that I'm having because of this situation, by the way. And one set of emotions, I was scratching my head like, why are you feeling that thing? Why is the situation causing that, that emotion or those emotions? And last night I was like, those emotions are coming from fear of some shadow stuff. And I am not afraid to say that. That, that just talks up, that shows you maturity. Oh my gosh. Something just came up for me. Hold on a second. I need to hold on. I need to write it down. Hold on, guys. Okay, I was paused for a couple of minutes. I'm feeling better. I added about four more things to that list. It is definitely growing. That blob is breaking up, and there are more things floating in this. There are more things that I can, more objects now floating for me to contend with. So this is good. So I'm, apparently I'm going to be bouncing between those two metaphors because there's so much that I haven't been able to to name that I don't because of that, that liquid being murky. So it's starting, I don't want to come up with another metaphor, but it's starting to crystallize or solidify. Like I'm starting to see, I'm starting to name some of the challenges. Okay. So I think where I left off before I hit the pause button, as I was talking about, um, oh darn, I just lost it. Being proud that I, I'm mature enough to say, oh, part of the feelings that I had last night, because it's forcing me to, it's, um, not forcing me. There's some of my, some of my fears, or now that I think about it, some of my insecurities that are surfacing. And so those insecurities, uh, without having the time to acknowledge that those were insecurities, <laughs> um, yeah, they are there. We all have some. We all have insecurities. Um, I don't often confront my insecurities because I'm not often in spaces that I cannot control, <laughs> right? So I'm as a type eight, and I think INTJs do this too. I control my environments or I control my body. I don't go into environments that make me insecure. That's another part of this dilemma. Let me, let me write that down. Hold on. Okay, you guys, this is good. I'm getting, you're going to hear the energy. It's, this is getting so good for me. It is becoming clearer and clearer. I'm going to release this episode, although it probably will make no sense to you, you the listener. Because I haven't said anything. <laughs> I haven't said anything. But I've said so much for me. But as a listener, I'm not sure if this is translating well. But I'm going to release it. Because it is it is what it is. And then if you never come back, thank you for listening to me this one time. Um, okay, so I'm feeling really, I'm starting to feel good. I'm starting to feel better. Okay, so that's some insecurity that's coming up. So that's part of it. The last night. 
part of what's what I'm wrestling with. I feel so good naming that. That that feels like a big chunk that of something that has floating by. That's a big chunk. This situation is a space of insecurity for me because I can't control it. I can't control it. <laughs> oh my God, that feels so good to just admit that. Like just admitting that is like a big release, like this big pressure. Okay, there's a, something coming up for me about this, pro, this your NIDOM project and some of the challenges that it poses for me in terms of career choices. But if I was not aspiring to do another damn thing in the employment world, it would be fine. Because what I'd love to inspire would be people to be able to, to come to terms with their own shit. Because we all have it. But we get into these places of employment and we have to mask it. We have to work within it. And then we have to be judged by it. So, but ultimately, you know. That's what I'm trying to say to, to us all. Like, how do we, how do we move about in the world where we're standing fully upright in our authentic selves? Job or no job, right? And that's a very real tension point. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Okay. Let me, let me try to name another floating object here. That insecurity one was a big one. So I want to take that insecurity one and I want to break it down into two pieces to two objects it's the absence of it's a situation I cannot control and I'm trying to and in the absence of of the control it's bringing up insecurities but those are separate Okay, another piece that I think is really important that's a challenge is around leadership. And I've been talking a lot about leadership in season, I don't even know what season I'm in anymore. I think this is season five for me. Starting last year, at the end of season three, I started really challenging myself around leadership, about my self-perception, my self-perception of leadership. And at the, in the middle of season two, nope, at the beginning of season two, when I started putting leadership in my disclaimers, because I don't think I talked about leadership initially. And I remember saying, uh, it was the beginning of 2021, so it was like towards the beginning of season two, I remember talking about the irony of me having a hard time seeing myself as a leader. So it was, I found that it was easier to say I've spent half of my career in leadership than it was for me to say I'm a leader. That was hard for me to say. 
Yeah, I'm feeling good, y'all. I think I got some, some solutions are starting to pop up in my head. Whenever I get to the dilemma, whenever, whenever I can tell you what happened, I may, I may have to tell you what happened in, the, in another audio. I may have, I have to get to the, the story part of what happened in the second beat, in a, in a part two. But I'm, I'm starting to have some solutions that are starting to come for, to me right now. Um, yeah, so I really struggled with saying that I was a leader. And I realized, I was like, the irony is that half of my career has been in leadership and I've done some pretty significant things. Well, if I've, if I've done those things and I know that I did those things and I had some measurable results, then what am I, why do I struggle with identifying as a leader? So this project has been really good for me because every time I start my episodes, one of my disclaimers is that been an educator and social scientist for about 30 years, for about 30 years, and half of that time has been in leadership. That, that, that's like an affirmation for me. It's reminding myself, you have been in leadership. Now, one of those, those disclaiming points that I make that I thought I played around with not saying it anymore. I think I talked about not saying it anymore, but I feel like it's important. this uh, point that I make about coming from intergenerational trauma, coming from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. And there's a part of me that says, well, don't put that on repeat because you put that on repeat, you reinforce that. Whatever you say over and over again, you're reinforcing it. Is that something you want to reinforce? Well, I don't necessarily want to reinforce that I come from trauma, but guess what? One of the things I want you all to know when you come into this project and you hear things, I want you to be able to make a connection. That stuff that from from my upbringing, from my childhood, from how I was raised, has an impact on who I am as a person. So it would be, it would be um, disingenuous. It would be inappropriate I don't know the word for me to be like yeah for me to for me to be like yeah I I um I've been in my career for 30 years and I've been doing leadership and I'm an INTJ and I'm an eight and then I tell you about the trauma that I come from or that you know I do come from a lower socioeconomic background now there are people who don't think that that has an impact on a person but I think it does So I don't, you don't get to pick and choose your experience. Well, that's not true. You can pick and choose. You can, I think I could. I could say, I am going to disconnect myself from from certain experiences and move forward. I don't believe that is what I should do. But if you are, if you have, if there's something that has happened in your past that was harmful or hurtful and you don't want it to be a part of who you are, I think you can divorce yourself from it. I think you have a right to try at least. I think you have a right to, um, if you are trying to say, I don't want that part of me anymore, you can. But I think for me, I need to, this is a separate reflection because I, I, I need to just chew on this a little bit. It's me 
restating that because I want to hold on to this trauma. No, but I want to understand it. I want to understand the trauma and I want to understand who I am outside of that trauma. So what I don't want to do is I don't want to deny the trauma and then walk away and say, oh, and, and, and I'm distancing myself from that. And, and I haven't really distanced myself from it. And now it's a part of me. But because I'm quote unquote distancing myself from it, I don't have a handle on how it's controlling me. So it is my desire to heal. It is my desire to grow. It is my desire to mature. And part of my match, my maturation, my maturity process, I don't know the word for it, is to acknowledge it, learn it, confront it, and then put it to rest. And so when I come, this is a rabbit hole, y'all. And so when I come back to it on repeat, that is my continued attempt to confront it, put it in its place, and put it down until I can't. Until I'm in a situation and I'm like, ooh, some of my shit is surfacing. So. So that was a rabbit hole I fell in. And actually, after I fell into that rabbit hole, I a thought snatched me. It's been a minute since I've talked to you guys about that. But I can be in a reflection space and a thought will come. And then I, it pulls me in. And I, and I was quiet for almost a minute. And while the record button was still record, I was still recording. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I'm going to try to come back and try to bring it back. So I, I think I fell into a rabbit hole because I was talking about leadership. Um, acknowledging that I have been confronting leadership in myself for about a year. Um, if not a year and a half. And you can see it as a theme in this project. And you see it as a heightened, reoccurring theme in this season, season five, that started in August of 2022. Um, so in season four, that happened in February of 2022, from February to June. Um, I was contending with, uh, I was reminded that I had leadership skills and I was reminded what those skills were inside of me. I was, I was, I, in season four, it was like, duh, yes, yes, you are, you have, yes, you are a leader. Now, whether I'm a leader because I have inborn leadership skills or in born leadership traits, whether I'm a leader because I've been officially trained as a leader in, in school leadership, yes. So I have some trained leadership skills. Um, I do believe I have some uh, inherent uh, leadership traits. Um, a lot of that came to me in season four. The other thing that was coming to me in season four was this idea of executive leadership versus 
mid 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 level, mid management level leadership. And so um that was coming to me. And I think what's been happening to me in season five is for me to I'm seeing myself beyond school leadership. I'm seeing um, some of those traits in me that are about innovate as an innovator, as an entrepreneur, um, as a thought leader. Like I'm seeing um, more of m- more aspects of me that would fit into um, that could be characterized as leadership. So I think that's what's been happening to me in this new job that I'm. I'm seeing so much more that it's funny. It's funny that I didn't see it before. It's just ironic. So I think the leadership part of me is just magnifying. There's a robustness to it that I didn't, I wasn't, I was not aware of. So it's opening up. So that's what I've been dealing with. That's why you see leadership in a lot of the show notes. So it is one of the pieces that's floating by um, in my, in this impression that I have, this metaphor that I'm working with. And in this particular dilemma is me, so part of it is me still on this journey of going, damn, you are really, you are, you are a leader. Like you, you have a position of a leadership. You have the background in leadership. You've been trained in leadership and you have some qualities. You have some inherent traits that the world in uses as the need in some inherent traits that the world or our society values in leadership. I have it. And so while I'm having it, I also see in this position that I'm in where I only have, I have limited access to it. Now, the reason why you just heard me stutter there is because I have more access to my leadership in this position than I had last year. I have significantly more. I almost have the amount of access that I have when I started my own organization. Almost. But if in that last episode that I did with you all called Discovery, that's one of the things I talk about. The different types of leadership. Executive leader, senior leader, mid-level leader, right? Um, And um, some um, some things are popping up in my head right now. Sorry, you guys. Um, and I don't want to pause to write it down. I want to push past it. Hold on, I do. I'm going to write it down. Hold on. Okay, I'm glad I paused to write it down because this is an important part of that that object floating by, that leadership object floating by. And what, what I just wrote down is that because I, this position, because of the position I have gives me greater access to leadership, um, greater access to what I bring 
as a leadership, as a leader to the table, it is okay. There's some webbing happening. I keep pausing, you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the disjointedness. But because it's giving me greater access to leadership, um, I brought. I'm bringing a lot of my gifts to the table. Well, the challenge with that is I don't have executive level leadership. So if my executive leader isn't going to protect those gifts, and I'm not saying she should, I don't know yet what I think about it, but if she doesn't protect those gifts, then they are vulnerable to being critiqued, contested, devalued, delegitimized. They're vulnerable to all of that. That's just, that's just what it is. And if I was the executive leader, I would be able to protect my gifts because I would have the control to do that. So we go back to not having full control. But the reason why I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if that's a bad thing. Is that, do I have to, do I have to have complete control in order to, to, to work? This is a question that I need to go and find out. Like, I don't, I don't think it, no one, no one has complete control. So what do you do in the absence of having complete control? What do you do to make up for the fact? How do you keep yourself safe? How do you keep yourself prosperous in a space where you don't have complete control? And I think this what's what what other types have learned to figure out. I don't think eights know how to do that. I don't think eights know how to thrive in a space where they don't have complete control. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean that... That we should run from the lesson. Just means we don't have the complete control. We just don't have it. Because we don't, we don't put, we're not in a situation where we have to figure it out. Now the question is, and one of the things I, I wrote down on my list is to leave or to stay. Because I'm determined, you know, I'm like, I really want to, I want to, I'd love to stay in this particular job. But last night I had to, first for the first time, admit, maybe I can't stay. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to consider is staying the only option. And now that's the first time that that hits hit. I have a very low tolerance for suffering. As a, as a, as an eight, suffering is not part of my wheelhouse. I just don't have it, you all. That's my dad in me. And so that's problematic in terms of survival, right? So but I do have some bigger plans, right? So the also the aid in me is I have bigger plans, a bigger fish to fry. And so what I'm not 
willing to do? Well, I'm willing to put the question on the table, stay or leave. I'm okay. I can handle that question. It's okay to put that on the table. At first I was like, no, I don't want to be delusional. I should be able to ask that question. I should be able to feel like every day I go into a job, it's because of a choice, not because I don't have an option. I don't want to, I don't want to give up that, that level of agency in myself. I can choose to go somewhere and struggle because that's a choice, not because it's the absence of choice. Because I think that would be problematic. So I don't think the problem is putting that question on the table to stay or to leave. I don't believe that. It's the problem. I think the problem is to not put it on the table. So it's on the table. It's a, it's a question that I will embrace on a regular from now on. That to stay or to leave it, to stay is an active, conscious choice to return to a situation that I don't have control in. <laughs> to return to a situation that is going to force me to develop capacity in the absence of control. So other types learn to live without control. They don't need it, right? They don't, they don't, they have, one of the, what I love about the Enneagram is that every freaking number, every personality type in that Enneagram is grounded in an insecurity. That's what I love about it. Every person contends with an insecurity. For eights, it's about the insecurity is about the absence of control. It's about vulnerability. That's an insecurity. <laughs> That's what I'm going to name this episode probably. <laughs> oh, Lord. So anyway. So that's that. So my leadership, while well, I, have, I have more access to the leadership, now that increased access means that I'm bringing more of that to the table, but because I don't have executive leadership and I don't have the control, I can't protect it. And now that those gifts are now being are made vulnerable to onlookers, different people who are going to judge it. And so one of the things that I, one of the things that I want to tell myself, and this is not on my list, but this is a truth that I hold. I've been sitting with in the last year. No one climbs the ladder without dealing with politics and conflict. No one does that. Here's another part of my challenge. As an INTJ, that's another thing we're not... We INTJs aren't here for the social... Cl I don't know. I feel like this is... Um, I'm about to contradict myself. Because on one hand, I want to say INTJs are not here for the social climb. They're not going to pursue something that requires the social aspect of it. Because we don't do the social like that. But the contradiction is... INTJs are about growth in the external world. And so my um, 
assistant, I told her, I said, I so envy your job. I said, because you have to have a little bit of people time. But the majority of your, the, the majority of her work is about completing projects outside of people. My job is about, I don't even know what it's about right now, but getting people to complete projects. In an organization, that's not been about completing projects. And they've not been completing projects because of some very real forces. Some very real forces that I come in and I've now interrupted those forces. And now I'm a threat to people who have not been producing. And now they're going on a defense. And what happens when you go on a defense? All bets are off. And now we're fighting. You're warring with me. And this is a, an example. This is part of the, now I'm starting to drop into this, the, what happened. So you, there are some people where I'm now, I'm interrupting that security. Some, I'm interrupting the forces that allowed them to be, have limited production. I'm interrupting that. Now I'm I'm causing some insecurity in them, and now they're acting defensively. None of that's none of that's problematic for me. And in them acting defensively, it's activate it's activating my insecurities. Not, it's not some of my shadow stuff. Yes. But it's also activating some insecurity for me in my position because I'm not the executive leader. And so now how they are acting defensively, it's going to activate my executive leader. And not, I'm not really worried about her right now. I'm, a little, I'm, I'm not really worried about her, but I'm not confident either. I'm not confident that she's not a problem. I'm not worried about her, but I'm no longer confident. So let me put it this way. I'm a little worried about her. I'm a little worried about her, but that's not where the, a large amount of my worry is residing. A large amount of my worry is residing in the people that I'm supposed to lead. And then this is another, I, I feel like that leadership piece I'm not done with, but let me, there's another piece that's floating by I want to unpack because of because race has been coming up a lot. Race has been coming up a lot in my reflections because it's coming up in this job. It's coming up in this job. And what, and this is a complicated matter because it's coming up in this job and the people who have the authority to make racial judgments to make racial claims to assert a judgment about a racial agenda 
are not people who are saddled with the responsibilities associated with leadership. So now I'm in a position that gives me access to leadership. I do have an, uh, the, the, uh, the, the jurisdiction to, to have, a, to have a, an opinion about race because of my, because I'm in a racialized body, because I've been trained, I'm, I have an academic background in understanding race. And all of that leaves, I, you guys, have, I've had you on pause for a few minutes, so uh, I'm, I'm going to jump out. I'm going to try to jump in. Um, so all of that leaves me, that increases the vulnerability because I don't have the ability to control the situation, yet I'm the person that has, I'm expected to have, uh -uh. Yet I'm the person with the greatest knowledge about a certain thing, so then I have the burden to do a thing, but not the, but not the act, the complete access to do the thing. And contending with other people who are acting defensive, defensively because of issues around production, and now that's going to be conflated with issues around race. And this is not, and then, and then the other piece of this with the race pieces, there's this expectation that because I'm in a racialized body and they are in a racialized body, that we're supposed to be looking out for one another. Yet there's no one who wrote the playbook on that. There's no one who put the rules on that. There's no one to, there's no place to go to when that rule has been broken or violated. There's no jury. There's no judge on that. But yet that rule is, it sits there. Who gets to judge how we move about in this racialized context. Who gets to judge that? So that complicates it immensely. So that's another floating piece. So, so far I got what, four pieces? Vulnerability, control, leadership, race. And that race piece has about four Um, spokes on it or spikes or whatever because it's, it's raised from a place of doing work leadership leading a racial agenda having knowledge about racial dynamics having experience and having an unspoken expectation of what it means to be in a racialized body, in community, in love with other people who have racialized bodies, and who has the complete power to judge if and how that is being handled 
correctly. That piece right there, it is loaded. And that is your ticking time bomb right there. Because everything else, I can have a handle on it. My leadership, that leadership piece that's running by, that's ongoing, right? And I'm not even worried about it. Because, I mean, that's just something that it is, right? Like, like so first of all, I have inherent inherent qualities as a leader. It is what it is. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I have no insecurity about that. Now, whether the world wants to see it or not, that's separate. But I, it is what it is, right? And if nothing told me that, my INTJ8 typing does, right? And so if I got to get in trouble for a thing, I can own it. I have to own it. <laughs> my training, my inherent qualities, my experiences, and my positionality, those four things about leadership, it is what it is. The vulnerability piece, uh, that's, I'm, a, I'm mature enough to be able to admit that. The control issue, it is what, like those things are all there, but it's the, 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 the one that I cannot. And even the issue around, I'm a leader, but I'm not the executive leader. And I have a relationship with somebody who's the executive leader. Even that's manageable. It may not be perfect. It may not even turn out to my liking, but I have, that's, that's clear. But this piece that is, that's racialized, that is a ticking time bomb that is for me, I don't have any experience with it. I don't know what to do with it. I don't have any support around it. I've never been in a space where I've been I've been with other people of color who didn't care for me. That's not unusual because people don't get along. But you we don't get along and we're supposed to get along. And I'm your leader. And we're in an organization that's supposed to be doing this racial justice work. And we are inside of an organization that has historically, we're inside of a, an organization that has not historically kept people safe, people of color safe. All of that's complicated. And I'm supposed to be a leader there. In a space I, don't, I have no idea what to do in that. I don't know what to do in it. Now, I believe in a year, one way or another, one way or another, I'm going to learn. It's going to be a lesson. I believe that. So, I think that those are the big, big rocks. I'm going to go back to my list and see if, um, I'm calling them rocks or big objects that are floating by. I want to go back to my list to see if there's anything else worth mentioning. Otherwise, I'm going to start bringing closure. Hold on one second. Yeah, this is this was a good reflection, you guys, because I have about I have thirty four things that I put on that list between getting ready to hit the play button and then as I was pausing, you guys, when things were popping up and I was writing down over thirty things on the list. And when I just went to review them, they're all they all can be captured by the components that I have identified. The, the leadership piece is a big piece because 
there's an expectation of me to do the right thing as a leader. There's an expectation on me to do the right thing as a leader. There is, um, and then there there are limitations on me to do the right thing as a leader. And that's really what the, that's the issue. That's, so I want to say, so that's one piece. And then there's this racial component. Because even if, even, so let's just say another situation comes up. Another problem comes up that's not about race, right? Let's say another job, a position, I mean, a problem comes up. And then my, um, I'm still going to have to confront the fact that I'm not the executive leader. I'm still going to have to wrestle with that tension. That's a very real tension that comes with this job. I've talked about it with my my boss, the executive leader, and she told me that it wasn't an issue with her. And I believe it wasn't. I believe somebody was asking me about it yesterday. I, I believe she's not wrestling. I, I believe she doesn't feel in competition with me. Because I'm not in competition with her. But one of the things that's coming to the table that I'm realizing is that she doesn't have executive leadership either. She doesn't have the complete access. So now, as she's trying to do her job, she's moving about with other people uh, at another level trying to get access, which is fine. I don't have a problem with her doing that. But what does it mean for me? When she's saying to me she wants access to my executive talents, but I don't have executive access, and she doesn't have executive access. That's the dilemma. That is a dilemma that I, that is a dilemma, but I don't feel, I don't feel at odds with knowing how to deal with that. I don't feel overwhelmed by it. I mean, it's annoying, right? It's something I got to work through, but it doesn't feel overwhelming for me. I get that. That she wants to access my executive talents in a space where I don't have executive jurisdiction and neither does she. That's manageable. It's not going to be easy, but that's manageable. The part that's not manageable is this racial dilemma. So there's a leadership dilemma that's manageable. There's a racial dilemma that I do not know how to manage. I don't know how to manage it at all. I have no idea what to do with that. And I don't have any place to go to internally to get help. I can go outside of the organization and talk to somebody, but that's all conjecturing. But who else bears the burden of leadership? No one else is no one else is holding that burden around leadership. The racial component of this. Nobody's holding that. So I'm trying to move about in it with other people who have the knowledge about this race. See, I'm not the only one who has a knowledge of the racial dilemma. But I'm the only one that's where it's complicated by a leadership dilemma. 
So I'm alone in that. I'm alone in it. And then I'm now confronting some things that would naturally surface when a new leader comes in and makes adjustments for production. And I don't, that's the part I don't know what to do with. But, but that's good though. I mean, it's not good that I'm dealing with it, but it's good that I can name it. Like getting to the end of this reflection and I can name it. I can name what the dilemma is. There are two dilemmas. One is going to be work, but it's, but it's, but it's manageable. One is going to be work and I have no idea what to do. And it's right now, it is increasing the lack of control because I don't know what to do with it. It is now, and Here's the real piece of it that's that to loop back to the control part and the vulnerability part of me. <laughs> I don't have a way of controlling it. I don't know what to do with it. I can't control it. And it's very well possible it's going to control me. That's the fear. So I was talking to someone last night outside of the organization and I said, it's being positioned as though this is a problem between one racialized person and another racialized person, but it's not about us. It's really not about us. And the sad part about it is that we're falling into a trap. It's about what's over us. So, so I need a, I think what I'm going to do is I need access to someone who has executive level jurisdiction who's going to cover me because my boss can't fully cover me. She can't. So. Yep. Well, I think that's what I'm going to do. And then... On the side note, I'm going to continue to folk, remind myself that I got bigger fish to fry. So, making sure that I am giving myself permission to suffer, like to to struggle in the suffering because I'm not equipped to suffer, <laughs> right? To give myself permission that as I'm suffering and I'm wrestling in it, that I'm not wired to suffer. Um, so that's one. And I think another thing, another uh, action item I'm going to take is I'm going to no longer try to solve that racial dilemma. I'm not touching that anymore because I can't. So somebody else is going to have to come in and do that. And I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen because this racial dilemma is not just about me. It's because the organization is saying it's committed to doing a thing that it's not equipped to do. And because it's not equipped to do, and I don't have executive jurisdiction to do, I can't do it. I can't do that job and the other pieces. So. So anyway, so the young lady that I was contending with, um, it's that the, I've been mentioning her. And I think the sad part about it is what's complicated it for me. And I, I'm so disappointed in myself here. This is the part I'm disappointed in myself. 
there's a quote-unquote affinity component that there's a, a space where I'm, I was supposed to be in affinity with the other, with her. And that's confusing to me because affinity means something to me that it is I'm not experiencing. So I'm thinking, but if we're in affinity, I should be able to tell you that. But I haven't been able to tell them that because I'm also their leader. So she gets to straddle the fence of when she has a lot of jurisdiction, moral power, because the organization sees her as a moral judge because of this race component. Because prior to me coming in, she held the, she was pretty much the person who held that power around racial morale, like the moral judge around racial, the race agenda. Uh, she's been asking me to be not to come to them not as a supervisor, but then to be a supervisor, because there's an assumption that I'm struggling with white people the way she's struggling with white people, and I don't struggle with white people that way. That's just not what that's not. It's not to say I don't. It's not to say I don't struggle. I don't struggle the way she struggles, and I don't problem solve it the way she problem solves it. So affinity in that space is only about struggling with white people. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. And so because I don't struggle with white people the way she struggles with white people, then I'm not able to have access to affinity with the group, the racial group, the racialized group, which is okay. But then when I chose not to go into that affinity space because I'm not really in a, because I can't get affinity from them the way I need it. So I pulled back because I'm a leader. Now that's offensive because I'm not playing by the book. And so now she's starting to talk and talk and talk and she's building and I'm so I'm not going anywhere. You're not running me away. I don't know what's going to happen. That's that's. I'm not leaving on that accord. But what I worry about is when people, when you are a racial minority and you are now vulnerable, people will find a way. They can't remove you based on X, so they will remove you based on Y. But I had to tell myself, this is part of the work. And here's the big, 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 big picture. This is the work for children. If I thought I was going to take, excuse my, I'm going to use an expression from my grandmother. (laughs) Or my grandfather either. If I thought I was going to take my black ass into that organization and be able to have a positive impact for black and brown and uh, poor kids. Then I had another thought come in. This is the lesson. It's just a... It's just another way of being dragged. It's just another way of being dragged. When they try to talk about a new level lynching, a 20, this is just another level of it. This is just another level of it. And when I put it in historical context, I'm okay. It's painful. It's painful, but it's not new. My ancestors have been through this. It's just another level of it. And the hard part is 
I cannot talk to other people because they are not giving me kinship. They're not giving it to me. They're withholding it. I get on a call with them and I bring up an issue. You should, you watch them. They are poking it. That's all they want. That's all they want to do. So then they, the question came up. Well, you tell us we can poke. Is that a problem? It's a problem if that's all you are able to do. If all you're able to do is poke or observe or question, that's all you're doing. And who's going to evaluate that? I have a judgment about what that is. But my judgment is not, has very little credibility. So that's getting into the weeds of it. That's, let's get into the weeds of it. The big issue is that there's no other leader that's, there's no other leader that's helping me to problem solve that. Zero. Number one, I'm not supposed to take it to another leader because that would be violating a racial code. I'm the only leader of color. So it would violate the code of my BIPOC staff to take the problem to my leaders. And my leaders don't have, they're not doing that work. So how is it that we can take on an organizational objection if we don't have the manpower to do it? And the very person that I would have been able to problem solve this with. And we are not, we are at odds right now. So she's asking for a new supervisor. You can, like I told her before, we can give you a new supervisor. That's not a problem. Let's see what that's going to mean now. What is that going to mean in terms of how we work together? Because once that's removed... Watch, there's going to be another dilemma. You guys watch that space. So it's all here for my lesson. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm sorry. I am wrapping it up. My lesson. Here's my lesson. There's a leadership component. There's a there's a control issue. And there's a racial issue. That's my lesson. for To figure out what I'm going to do with it. That's the dilemma. <laughs> That's the dilemma. And I'm going to put the control piece as part of the leadership piece, because it's part of the lead. What, how much of my leadership do you get access to? How much of my leadership should you have access to if I don't have control? That's fine. You should only get the amount of leadership that you're, that pairs with my level of control. Otherwise it's unbalanced. So that's a leadership dilemma. And then there's a racial dilemma. And those two are colliding. <laughs> so I'm just going to call this the dilemma. Oh, you guys. If this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about a dilemma. <laughs> oh, my goodness. About leadership, about vulnerability, about control, about access, about confusion. That's what I'm saying. I said, this organization is not set to do what it says it's going to do. It's 
it's going to do. I have zero credibility where this community is concerned. And so now my boss is like, I'm worried that this is going to impact your ability to lead. You damn straight it is. You damn straight it is. Because how did you set me up for that? How did you set me up? I was able to come in there and be amazing as long as I could do it on my own. There is nothing that she's been able to do. There's nothing that she can do. She can't. Doesn't mean she doesn't want to. She can't. If that's if this conversation about like a dilemma, but it's also about like being tasked to do a thing and not resourced to do a thing. That's really being tasked to do something and not resourced to do it. That's the dilemma. That's it. If you've had that experience, if you've had a conversation or related to that, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about in this conversation has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I would. <sighs> you can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, on Twitter, yournidom1, YouTube, and Facebook, yournidom. Let me give you your assignment. What do you do when you face a dilemma? What is your problem solving process? So, the definition of a dilemma is a situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between two or more alternatives, especially equally undesirable ones, to stay or to leave. That's an undesirable dilemma. That's a, those are two uh, undesirable alternatives. Because the staying now means I have to contend with all of that in a space of being under-resourced to do so. And to leave is to, it's not an option. That's just not even an option. Uh, I'll be okay if I have to leave. But I don't want to. I want to do the work that I came to do. So I'm going to have to change my agenda. So uh, so that's my dilemma. That's how I'm problem solving that. What do you do when you're in a situation where you have a difficult choice to make between two undesirable alternatives? How do you reconcile that? How do you go and determine which one is the most undesirable, the one that's the least undesirable? How do you process that? And how do you find the courage to be honest about it? Like you have to have courage to be able to say, what is your ugly? What is the the part of the situation that is hard to admit? 
You can't make that choice if you can't tap into that shadow part, the difficult part. Otherwise, that that choice is going to be incomplete. It's going to be surfaced. So how do you dig in? How do you find the courage and the boldness and the confidence to dig in to that dark place so that you can make an honest and effective choice? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. I'll be back because I have, uh, I think I have 11 episodes in a month and a half. So we get, it's going to start dialing it up now. Okay. But it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.